With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of your Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sports Pacer. A little bit later this week, and I'm joined on my right by Ian Krog. Good afternoon, Ian. Hi, Sam. You okay? Chris Beasley, straight in front of me. Hello, Sam. And left fullback today is Dave Prentice. I played left back once. It was a horrible, uh, not a good experience. Mis- misadventure. No. Uh, have you? Was <laughs> you gloss over it quickly? Was, was you a born and bred striker, Dave? I've been a goal hanger my whole life. Been a go- <laughs> <laughs> Always offside. Well, we're a little bit later uh, getting our teeth stuck into this. Obviously, it's a, it's been a busy week for for a few of our writers. Uh, Phil Kirkbride, obviously, been mixing it with Marcel Brands's former colleagues at PSV. Some, some really good articles there on the Echo website for you to look at. But we will start with the win over Brighton, Dave. I said at the game, probably the best I've seen since we beat Manchester City 4-0 under Ronald Koeman. Would you agree with that? I, I, I wouldn't disagree. Um, it, it's been a performance that's been coming, I think, because we've seen flashes of that kind of adventure, notably away at Leicester, you know, which which was very, very good. But it all came together in a series of like you know really good attacking moves, and without wanting to you know sort of revisit ancient history and you know mention the uh, the, the big S word because we won't, we'll ignore him, <laughs> uh, but. This is the kind of football that Everton fans wanted to see from their team, wanted to see, you know, fairly enterprising, attacking, cultivated football uh, and good goals being scored. And all three were absolute classics, all different. Um, You know, the first one was an incredible sweeping move. I saw somebody afterwards say it's the best football he's seen an Everton team produce since 1985. And it was that kind of goal. It was just tremendous to watch. The other one was a bit different in that it was just a really good finish and interesting celebration. And uh, (laughs) And then the third one was just, it was just a great finish, you know, so absolute, you know, classy finish. So, yeah, all in all, it was, it was, it was really good performance, but also heartening for what, Mar- um, for what Marco Silva's trying to do at the club. You know, he said at the start of the season, he wanted to try and introduce an attacking brand of football that was energetic and that was aggressive. And I think we certainly saw that. And if we bear in mind the fact that, you know, he's only getting his feet under the table, he's only been here five minutes. And this is against the Brighton team that just won three games on the bounce. And, you know, we're round about where Everton were on the table. Uh, plenty to be positive. Bees, are you surprised, as, as Dave says, how fast it's seemingly coming together for Everton? I think fast is the uh, the optimum word, really. I think that was the big thing, not not so much how quickly it's evolved, but the pace at which Everton were, were playing at uh, the weekend. Uh, there was so one-paced last season, I think that was the problem, wasn't it? That it was almost static at times and it was made for some very lethargic football. Was Richarlison, that extra dim- dimension that he brings and obviously he's got clever players around him, uh, like Sir Gilfie Sigurdsson now, just the way he started that move behind Sigurdsson, finished up um, in front of everybody. And how um, good was that touch? Yeah. You know, the, the weight on that pass. Oh. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a totally different style of, of football and yet Sam bemoaned that he finished eighth and, and got the chop but this is a, just a totally different brand and that, and that's why the Evertonians uh, wanted that change at the top and after watching the performance against Brighton are you finally not fuming about the Carabao Cup exit to Southampton no I'm still, I'm still fuming <laughs> obviously I, I counted I think it was 14 seconds from Brighton's corner to Everton's Gordon now 
they in the you past. You need to get out more. <laughs> <laughs> they in the past, the kind of goals Evan have conceded. Amazing goal to to kind of watch live, wasn't it? No, yeah. I mean, you don't really associate Everton Football Club or recent, you know, in recent times with Pace. with a counter attack and goal like that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Fourteen seconds from was it probably from the the header of Kaitumi, yeah. and then you know the interplay between Bernard and, and Sigurdsson, and then on to Richarlison, and there was still a lot to do, wasn't there, for Richarlison? You know, it's still a tight angle, and to go, you know, kind of above the keeper to the left, you know, what pace that that shot had on it, you know. What a fantastic goal. And, you know, we kind of, we set our stall out then. Felt like, you know, as Dave said, then Brighton are a very good team. I think they are. They really are. They've won the last three. So I felt like even when we were 1-0 up, they held their own. They still held their own. And obviously they managed to get back in the game. But, you know, the performance for me came in the second half. That's where we were, you know, re- relentless, if you want to say that. And you, it was just, you know, from that first chance that we had in the second half, I think it was Adrissa Garnagay at the post. Yeah. Um, and then, Theo Walker just missed that chance. You know, there was only going to be one winner, really. I'll tell you what I loved about it as well afterwards. Uh, the reaction from the Brighton end of things. The, I think he's the sports editor, is it? Andy Naylor um, was tweeting about how good Everton were and how they're nailed on for the top eight, but probably higher. And hearing Chris Hewton say the same thing, saying that this is a team that's you know, so destined for the higher reaches of the Premier League. And it's a long time since I've been hearing stuff like that. I mean, just to throw a bit of nostalgia in, because I'm always doing these things. <laughs> but uh, 85, one of the games that no one ever remembers, is Everton beat Newcastle 4 0 at home. And I remember leaving that game and actually walking on air for hours afterwards because they were so good. And Jackie Charlton, who was then the Newcastle manager, was interviewed and was said you must be devastated you know losing 4-0 and typically you know so you know uh, contrary individual Mr Charlton uh, no I'm delighted not devastated delighted I said delighted just been beaten 4-0 because that should have been 8 they are the best balanced team I've seen in English football for a long long time and all right best balanced team isn't like you know the greatest uh, compliment in the world but it was just great to hear it was heartwarming to hear somebody talking about an Everton team in that way and that happened on Saturday you know just hearing Chris Hewton talk Everton up here and the Brighton officials talk Everton up it was just good and you know more of it do, do you think there though maybe is, is that what Everton do have this season that they really haven't had for a long time do Everton finally have the right balance it's it's coming. I mean, no, I don't think it's right at the moment. Uh, I think there's certainly an issue in the front three in that Richarlison shouldn't be asked to play as a centre-forward because he isn't a centre-forward and he's doing a decent job there. He's, scoring, done, you know, he's done, yeah, he's done fine there. But there are occasions, like notably Palace at home, where the ball doesn't stick, uh, where a bit of physical presence is required. Cenk Tosin can supply physical presence, but he's not top class, I'm afraid. You know, he's done okay. You know, he's scored goals and uh, the one he scored against Palace was great. But, you know, if you're a team that has aspirations of breaking into the top four, you've got to have a bit more class than that. So I think the balance isn't quite right there. Uh, you know, maybe in Jan- well, January, it's not a good market to shop in, but maybe in the future sometime, that is an area of the team that Marcus Silva will be looking at to allow Richarlison to move back to the, uh, the wider positions where he started the season. And then that gives you the option of, you know, so is it Theo Walcott? Is it Bernard switching to the side? Who knows? You know, the, there are options there, but the balance is coming together. And midfield as well is an area where it's been very imbalanced for a long, long time. But, and I say this very, very, you know, so gingerly because I don't want to tempt fate, uh, Gomez and Guy together looks a lot better. Yeah, you know, definitely. it looks like a much better balance with those two together. Did, did you notice, Ian, that... Adrissa Garnagay seemed to be twice the player alongside Andre Gomez, didn't he? He was, wasn't he? Even even on the ball, he was. You know, we've always said 
guy's strength to when he hasn't got the ball and he's he's harrying, harrying chasing down and, and winning the ball back. But I felt his performance when he had the ball was great. I don't know what, what anyone else thought. He was my man of the match. It was either it was going to be between him or Zuma, and I, I gave it to Guy because I've got a bit of a soft spot for him anyway because I just think he's fantastic and the money that we paid for him yeah. uh, is buttons really. Just want to just go back to Dave's point there, Richarlison. Obviously, he's not a striker, but if someone said years ago that Ronaldo wouldn't be a, an out and out striker, true. You know, is that I obviously nah. crazy comparison because they're probably yeah, because he's a phenomenon. Yeah, uh, you know Ronaldo, but, but yeah, there are a number of players. I mean, Thierry Henry is the other one people say that yeah. he started out wide and moved into the middle. Uh, both a bit more physically imposing than Richarlison. Both you know got much taller for a start, and you know so got a bit more you know sort of physicality about them. I'm not saying he can't do that job because he can. He can obviously do it quite well, mm. but I just think he started the season so well in a wide position, and uh, it's an area where you can get a specialist player in that position, you know, and that's what we should be looking to do, I think. Uh, so, yeah, there's no reason why you can't do it for the foreseeable future, but to be an absolute top-level side, yeah. aiming to break into the top four, I want to see a proper, you know, centre-forward, if you like, from want to a better term, with Richarlison, you know, doing what he's been doing so well. Yeah. It's been it's been hit and miss, hasn't it? It'd be that he scored on that first time up front at Leicester City, but they were so difficult for him, those, the Palace and the United game, yeah. um, Said there, there's no space for him to to play in against Palace and then again against United a lot of the time. He had, uh, certainly first half is is back to goal. So we're wondering would the, the um, experiment continue? But you know, yeah, he was he was great against Palace. So I think like Dave says, he he is a wide player who's doing a, a good a sterling job out of position. But like I said Everton should want a, a, a specialist number nine in there certainly uh, come next summer. And before we uh, started the podcast, Dave, someone who had another excellent performance on the weekend and you said you could speak all day about them. Michael Keane is just a totally right. different player. <laughs> I wonder where you were going then. <laughs> what, what have I said previously? <laughs> a totally different player from last year. You know, I think everyone in this room and indeed even everyone at Goodison has had doubts over Keane, but there is just absolutely no shadow of the player he was last season. Uh, I saw uh, quite a, a light-hearted, tongue-in-cheek tweet actually that said that he looks a different player since he's had that uh, that growth removed from his left-hand side. I thought, <laughs> sorry, Ashley Williams, <laughs> which was a little bit harsh. Wow. Um, no, I just think that the big issue with Michael Keane that a lot of us didn't really understand, and we've spoken about it before, is the injury problem he had last season with the uh, the foot uh, that was infected. Uh, James Vaughan managed to, you know, sort of two-foot him in the League Cup tie against Sunderland, opened up a, a gash that required eight stitches. It then got infected, and such was his desire to play and to play through the pain barrier. He was playing with a boot that was two sizes too big uh, for him because his foot was so swollen, and he kept on trying to come back quicker than he should have done and it was only um, I think when Sam Allardyce arrived that you know you finally got like about four or five weeks to get the foot absolutely right then came back again again in January and it might not just be coincidence that you started to produce better form you know throughout the second half of last season uh, started this season like a completely changed player entirely and it can take time sometimes to get used to a football club like Everton it is such you know sort of a huge institution and you know with no disrespect to Burnley you know and I know he's been at Man United but you know he wasn't playing regularly there, but I think just to play in you know a first team of Everton's you know size week in week out can take a bit of getting used to, and he's done that. He's overcome the injury problems, and he's looking like an absolutely you know, nailed on starter at the moment. Um, and it's good there's competition for places in that position now. We don't know how good Yeri Mean is going to you know to perform, and he comes in as he will because obviously Kurt Zuma can't play at the weekend. But you know. Keane's the one that looks like you know the first name on the team sheet at the moment in defence, and the others are all looking for the opportunities to partner him. The disruption in the management, you know, 
system, obviously, which we had sat cumin and then obviously yeah. Unsworth was in for a couple of weeks and then Allardyce, that surely hasn't helped, has he? You know, well, he no, seems I mean, a lot settled now. Well, Cumin was a big part of him coming to the club. I mean, he actually wanted to come because Cumin is a world-class centre-back who he thought could teach him lots about the game. You know, he went on record and said that. And it was ironic, really, that, you know, obviously Sam Allardyce was also a centre-back, as was David Unsworth, who was also a centre-back. Yeah. Uh, but equally, his best form seems to come under Marco Silva and I've no idea if he even played in a particular position. <laughs> Maybe you can tell me. <laughs> so it's it's quite bizarre, you know, how it has suddenly taken off. Shades of of Dave Watson for me, really. Like you say, um, started off at um, Stadium. You now you're talking true legend. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, <laughs> obviously he, he started at Liverpool and then um, sort of fought, made his way in the game at, at Norwich City. But um, yeah, after a shaky start, re- you know, we really went came on true. leaps and leaps yeah. and bounds. And I think um, Michael Keane's been like that because. This is the kind of defender that Everton thought they were getting. They paid a lot of money for him. I think yeah. at the time it was a record fee for a defender at Everton last summer. This is what it was expected. He was the player who thought he'd come to Everton. He'd be going to the World Cup. He's been totally eclipsed by Harry Maguire in, in that respect. He, he sort of come on leaps and bounds. But this is the Michael Keane that Everton were hoping to get last year. And just to, to finally touch on the Brighton game, Ian, a little bit of talk. On, indeed on your uh, View from the Gladys podcast as well a lot of talks around on Theo Walcott's form but a standing ovation for Theo what did, what did you make of his performance? Um, yeah, I thought it was you know solid to be honest I don't think it was outstanding as mentioned a um, couple of the fans who came on the fan podcast don't think he's you know he's there yet you know it was one performance and it was a good performance from the whole team overall um, I think he's he's certainly got to do more Um Attacking wise, anyway, and defensively as well, you know, maybe that's you know one of the reasons why Seamus Coleman's form hasn't been up to scratch because he hasn't had the you know the hands of um, Theo Walcott to, to help him out. I don't know. I think Theo came in as a, as a massive player from Arsenal last season, didn't he? And you know, he, he did hit the ground running. He scored a couple of goals, and competition for places now is is there. Luckman for me is breathing right down his neck. I think it's going to take more than one performance and you know one good performance to, to get him back on track and sh- same goes with James Coleman he, he played great on Saturday don't get me wrong he scored a great goal and you know his reaction of following that celebration um, was great I, I love all that um, but it's all about consistency now yeah. because you know obviously we've got a massive game in Chelsea coming up now We this is these are the teams that we want to be able to compete against it's all well and good doing it against a good Brighton team as we've said but Chelsea Man City Liverpool United Arsenal you know, they're the games that they need to be performing in for me. I think that there's a section of the Everton fan base that always has to have a whipping boy. And it goes back to time immemorial. You know, it's happened, you know, so all the way down history. And, you know, in recent months, it appears to be Seamus Coleman, which I just can't understand, you know, because he's been so good for the club. And he's not made a great start to the season, but he's not been bad. Um, but, you know, clearly it does get to players. And that reaction was clearly as a result of that. Mm. You know, players claim they don't read papers, they don't listen to social media. They do. Mm. That, that's absolute nonsense. And clearly that was a direct reaction to that. And I just fear that, you know, Theo Walcott could be the next in line that, you know, so fans have got it in for. Because he came in for a few bob, you know, because, you know, he plays in a position where it's easy to drift in and out of games, you know, in a wide position. Uh, I, I like him. I think he, he's been very, very good. He's been, been a good signing for the club. And I just would hope that, you know, he wouldn't be affected either by things that are said on social media. You know, I hope he just uh, dev- deferred his attention elsewhere and just focuses on his game. I think with Walcott, though, is like, we know he's a good player. We know he's a, he's a top class player, but he, he has missed chances over the past couple of weeks where he should have scored. Yeah. Okay, it may not have affected certain games. I think the Arsenal one, he, Arsenal game, he had a, a great chance, didn't he? And, he? and he missed. But, you know, 
I think we we expected them to move up to another level, yeah. which, you know, has he done that? Questionable. I don't Players know. Players always do miss chances. I mean, remember this time last, or start of last series, Mo Salah was missing chances galore. Yeah. And everyone wondering if he's like a decent enough finisher and look at the way his season finished. Gary Lineker mentioned it on Match of the Day. He says, all the top strikers miss chances. It's just how you react to that. Some players don't let it bother them. Harry Kane's one. You'll miss a sitter and just get on with it and you'll take a chance soon after. The, the lesser players let it play on their mind a little bit. And, you know, maybe Walcott isn't quite as... Sure, in his own, you know, finishing abilities as the absolute top class strikers. And, and, and you spoke to Theo Finch Farm a few weeks back, Chris. Yeah. How have you assessed the start of the season? Yeah, I just just got to hope that he, he isn't on the turn. He, he's he, in regards to his career now, isn't he? He's obviously, a player who's got on, got by on on his pace and uh, acceleration, really. And he's only maybe I think in his thirtieth year now. So I know he's he's very ambitious about what he wants to do to Everton. He says, I, I came to Everton rather than take the, the easy option. And he went and named Southampton as the easy option. Could have gone back down there. But he's moved the family up after um, being based at Arsenal for over a decade. So he's very determined to make a, a, an impact at Everton. But obviously this is his last real big chance in that, you know, if, if he doesn't do it in the next year or so at Everton, I mean, the only way he's going to be down for him, he won't be getting another move like that. So I think it's, it's important for him. It's, it's, important, it's an important stage of his career right now. And Dave, obviously we, we've touched on those goals a little bit. What do you think it's been? Is it the same kind of situation for Gilfie Sigurdsson as Michael Keane at the moment or Everton? I mean, the, the the difference in him from last season as well just seems absolutely staggering. No, I think that the, the only problem with Gilfie Sigurdsson last season was being played out of position. I, I think he's just an absolute top class player who you know needs to be in the middle of the pitch. You know, so he's on the ball more often and he can influence you know so everything around him. Shuttling him out to the left hand side was just a strange decision. It was like, you know, you know, square pegs in round holes. Um, one of Ronald's, you know, so weird decisions that one, uh, especially with, you know, the quality of the players they were playing at number 10 at the time. Um, just, he was never ever going to show his best form out in that position. And since he's been in a more central role, he is. And he's another one, actually, that, you know, you talk about, you know, so being a senior player. Is he 28, is he now? 29, he's, you know, I think. Yeah, 29, even. You know, he's got plenty of miles on the clock. But there was a great stat that came into the office this week of the, the Premier League's, you know, sort of top 10. I think kilometres covered in games this season. And he's right in there. He, puts the know, work, he actually covers he? more ground, yeah. certainly than anybody in the Everson team. Uh, so, you know, fitness isn't an issue at the moment. But yeah, you know, if he's going to achieve things in his football career and win things, he needs to do it at Everton in the next two or three years. And and that was definitely something you could see at the game at the weekend, wasn't it? That there, there does seem to be a real insistence from Marco Silva for Everton to press teams. And it seemingly starts, you know, Richarlison doesn't stop working, Sigurdsson doesn't stop working. It really starts from the front, doesn't it? No, absolutely. And we haven't had that, have we? let's face it um, you know it was promised under Roberto Martinez and it was promised under Ronald Koeman and obviously you don't know the ins and outs of what they do in training and Finch Farm every day but they obviously you know weren't adapting training to, to that type of play and you know fingers crossed Marco Silva has got a style of play which you can obviously see and you know just going back to Sigurdsson there to your point there Sam as well there was I think it was either after the second goal or I think it was the third goal because obviously the game was won it was coming to the end and Sigurdsson we, we lost the ball and Sigurdsson was just chasing after it and I just thought you know that's exactly what you want mm. still 3-1 up game's won five minutes to go anything could happen 
and he's still chasing after that ball. And what a you know what a player he's going to turn out to be forever. And eventually, you know, all that money that we spent for him. I mean, there was a shout, wasn't there, a couple of weeks back? And I think I was probably the one even to say it as well. A few others, but maybe to drop him deeper, even in a central role. And doesn't really necessarily need that now with the fact no. that we've got Gomez and, and Guy there. He's just he's just perfect where he is now, and definitely not on the left. <laughs> Chris, you'll be going to Chelsea on Sunday with mm. Phil Kirkbride. Everton, of course, lifted the Sport Pacer trophy at Goodison hey. Park last night. <laughs> Yeni Mina, he came on for the last remnants of the Brighton game. He, he played the full 90 minutes last night. He's got his feet under the table. Does he have to start against Chelsea now? Yeah, it's interesting because um, Phil Jagielka played yeah. last night, club captain. Um, Mason Holgate as yeah, well. Yeah, first game since the start of the season for Jags. Obviously, he got the suspension and then the injury. So it, it's not cut and dry, but I, it's, the, it's the decision that everyone is expecting, isn't it? That, you know, he's the big money signing from the summer. Yeah, I mean, I've waited so long to see him in, in action for, for the Blues. I mean, there was a school of thought that perhaps he should have started against Brighton, but you can see why... Marco Silva ultimately decided to keep it as, as it was and then just introduce him once the game was won in the last couple couple of minutes. But yeah, it's, it's a big it's a big week for um, Yerimina because I mean, I, I imagine uh, coming up against the Chelsea fans would be rather different than the Gormaya players. <laughs> you don't say that. Actually, yeah. I thought it was quite entertaining the uh, the way he leapt into Umar Nias's arms after Nias scored <laughs> in the last minute. There's obviously, you know, so quite a you know, decent friendship, you know, still developing there. Uh, he, he's he, a confident lad, isn't he? He's he looks, he, 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 yeah, he looks, he looks part Charles of things, does doesn't he? It looks yeah. like he's uh, he's settled into the club, you know, socially, which is an important thing to do, and then he's got to do it professionally now. My sorry, my only concern is just you know the break up a partnership between Keane and Zuma. Obviously, you know we can't can't be helped. Yeah. Zuma can't play, but they've been playing with each other for, for weeks now, and obviously built up a bit of a camaraderie, bit of a you know they've gelled together, haven't they? So throwing Yeri Mean into the mix, obviously, he's, hopefully, he's going to be a quality player for Everton Football Club, but you know it's. It's kind of going in into Chelsea in the dark, isn't it? Because we don't really know what we don't. But I, I just want to see him plant a header from a corner, <laughs> so down at the shed end. <laughs> <laughs> when when, when was the last time we won a Chelsea ninety four? You've asked me this before. Nineteen ninety five. Paul Rideout Ride with a header down at that end, actually, uh, from Anders Limpar cross. Joe Royal just arrived at the club the it's previous week. Game, wasn't uh, it? Beat yeah. Liverpool two 0 then beat uh, Chelsea one 0 then beat Leeds three 0 Incredible stars, but yeah, it's. How many years ago that is? Stamford Bridge was barely just getting built as well. I think very different place to what it is now. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And and do you think last night last night's game, Dave, highlighted you know the strength and depth that Everton have suddenly found themselves with at the moment? I mean, last night you look Martin Stekelenberg. This is a mid-season pre-glorified friendly. Stekelenberg's played in the World Cup final. A lot of lads out there. Schneiderlin, international. Phil Jagielka played in the World Cup for England. Schenk Tosin, the regular for Turkey. I mean, Everton suddenly have got options, haven't they? Yeah, definitely. We were looking at that when we were trying to like predict the team in advance. And if you can look at it and say that Umar Nias still can't get into the team, even for like a you know mid-season friendly, he came on as a sub. It does indicate that yeah, there's plenty of strength in depth. James McCarthy, it was great to see him get half an hour, you know, so he will be a a more influential figure, you suspect, as the season progresses. Holgate, who you know was arguably one of the better defenders in the first half of last season, who hasn't been getting a sniff, but again, you know, looked decent. You can't tell in a game like that because you know, go on my, uh, you know, okay, Kenyan champions, but the quality of Kenyan football is clearly you know so limited compared to the Premier League. So it was quite a bit of a bit of a stroll for them, really. Uh, but they got match minutes under their belt. They got a bit of rhythm, you know. So the players, uh, Tom Davis, you know, looked bright. He'd be on the bench again, you suspect. But yeah, just underlined that. 
there's options there that you know the, the manager could select from should he have issues in certain parts of the other uh, team. The only strange one was uh, seeing Benny Beningame at left back, and I'm not yeah. sure he's ever played there before. Well, he, <laughs> he, he has, hasn't he? He played left back against Limassol away yeah, last well, season uh, when we uh, when we had to when we had to change yeah, it round. Yeah. But obviously, we'll be hoping that Leighton Baines can take his place on the bench. And- yeah. I think there's a difference though when having strength and depth, and then options available to you. There's a lot of players there. You know, if we're going to name a few, Nias maybe Snarling, who potentially won't be at the club next season unless yeah. he can do something, do something special. So, I think you know if their time comes this season to be called upon, they're going to have to do something special to to prove that they the worth a shout at the club. Because I can see a handful of those players not being there next season, potentially even in January as well. Yeah, it's almost like that's a decent second eleven. But as Ian says, um, are you going to depend on too many of them to sort of turn I mean, the game yeah. round for you? I'm not too sure. Because we have relied on yeah. a lot of them at the the early stages of the season, and look how that turned out. Now we've seemed to have got a, mm. a settled eleven, or you'd say a settled you know twelve with some of the subs that have come on and made an impact. Um, so yeah, you know, I'm all for giving people a chance, but they've got to take it. They've got yeah, to. You, you were there last night, Sam. I mean, the, the name that I was quite interested in seeing was Joe Virginia, yeah. you know, the goalkeeper. Now I know he didn't have a great deal to do, but you know, how did he look? Did he, you know, acquit himself confidently? Yeah, I think there was the there was the there was the moment, wasn't there, where he came out and kind of punched on the edge of his head, and that there the chance from it. But again, it was it was it was pretty brave, you know, for a, yeah. for a preseason. Well, sorry, a mid-season friendly. He, he put himself on line, didn't have a lot to do, but his, his distribution was solid. And he, he looks like a, to be honest, I think a lot of Evertonians prefer to see him be the number two yeah. than Stakelenberg. Obviously, you know, now all, all being well, Jordan Pickford shouldn't miss another game this season because I don't think Marco Silva will be changing his team for the FA Cup. He'll have learned his lessons mm-hmm. from Southampton. But it, again, it's, I think it's good to see the kind of foresight from the club and good to see a, a young lad who's quite clearly uh, moved from Arsenal, you know, to, to try and take an opportunity at Everton and, you know, look pretty unflappable. I think all the young lads who, who came on, you know, Broadhead scored with yeah. essentially his first touch, I thought. Beningami again, you know, looks the kind of player you can ask him to play anywhere and he'll do a solid job for you. I was quietly impressed with Keen Dahl. He scored a goal and obviously after the game said that he was even frustrated to, to not be getting chances at the moment. So I think what we've got at the moment is, is a group of hungry young lads who from Dowell to Luckman to Calvert-Lewin to Beningham, they all want to be playing in, in this Everton team. And the lad Kyle John who came on as a game, yeah. and Matt, a lad I didn't know anything about to be fair, <laughs> but you know, so he looked like so quite bright. Now Kieran Dowell's the one that's uh, so frustrating because he clearly has great talent. A wonderful left foot. I mean, Nottingham Forest, you know, loved him when, when he was, uh, you know, he was having a, a great season. Some of the goals he scored pre-season last summer, you know, were just absolutely top draw. So, the quality is there, but you just you've got to have that little bit more to do it at a Premier League level. Whether it's that bit of intensity, that little bit of drive, and whether he's quite got that, I don't know. I'd love him to because you know he has a talent, but you know whether he's ever going to do it in the Premier League, I'm not so sure. And, and last night, Beasy, he was only on the pitch for the last 15, 20 minutes, but James McCarthy straight into the action, and he quite James, quite unlike James McCarthy, whipped in an absolute beauty yeah. of a ball for Nathan Broadhead to, to tap home. If James gets back to full fitness and, and is anywhere close to the levels we've seen just before he got that horrific injury last season and in the first season under Martinez, that the writing is probably on the wall for players like Morgan Schneidlin, isn't it? If he do, if it's a big if, isn't it? Because he's yeah. so, such horrific injuries, not just one. He, he, like you say, he came back from a bad injury and then then got that terrible double leg break, and that's always the concern, isn't it? Because he was such 
an intensive player. He just you know covered every blade of grass seemingly in those early years under Martinez, and he and he would bring a totally different dimension. It's quite different, a totally different sort of midfielder as a Schneidlin and who's a sitter. Um, but yeah, if he could recapture that, then yeah, definitely Evertonians would, would love a, a bit of that. But I just, I just, I just hope he can, given that those horrific injury problems he's had. Will he ever quite be the same player? I hope so. But you know, you've got to have your doubts. My, my, sorry. My, McCarthy's one I would consider to be strength and depth rather than just an option who would fill a void. And as for, for Dahl, he's, he's still so young. You'd have to put him in the same bracket as, as Tom Davis, really. I mean, well, he Tom, has... But well, Tom Davis is young. He's yeah. like 20 years, isn't he? Yeah. Dahl's a couple Dahl's of years old, older. Is he old? Dahl's, he, well, yeah, Dahl, he's Dahl's had one or two chances this season, hasn't he, in yeah. the League Cup. Now, he was hauled off for the Southampton game. Yeah. This, is what, this is what I'm talking about. It's quite unfair, though, isn't it, to just throw a young lad in? That was his first start of the season. It, 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 that's an opportunity. No, no, you that's what I mean. Know, but to just come in cold, I think, is, is quite hard. Doesn't matter to be chance, completely wrote you know, off as, a, as yeah. a young player. I, I mentioned this the other week about Luckman coming on the bench and providing that assist for Dominic Carver-Lewin. He had 15 minutes to do something and he did. He managed to provide that assist and now he's knocking on the door for Theo Walcott. Dahl, we haven't seen hard hair of him, have we, since that League Cup game? So he hasn't been in the squad since League Cup. Yeah. So whether Silver's, you know, it was a poor first half against Southampton in that League Cup. Um, you can't let it go, can you, Ian? I know, well, <laughs> whether Silver thought he was, you know, it was down to him or he's just not ready, I don't know. But like, you say, like Dave said then, you, you know, you've got to take your chances when they come whether it's an assist, a goal, you know, decent performance. So it's, he's going to get more chances. I don't think Everton are just going to get rid of him. No, no danger in that. I think he's going to, um, I think he'll stay at the club. I mean, whether on a low move will, you know, be, be better suited for him. The Royal Blue Podcast. And, and we're talking about all the players, Dave. What, what kind of struck me over the last few weeks is someone that's gone under the radar is Silver himself. Uh, you see a lot of the players mention how good he is to work with and kind of, he's just quietly gone about his business, but the atmosphere of Everton has totally shifted, hasn't it? Yeah, he's a very intense individual. It was mentioned on a match of the day, wasn't it, on Saturday night, where they focused on him and said that when you talk to him, he's a really engaging guy, but he doesn't appear that way when you see him on the touchline. Uh, he does, he looks like really serious all the time. And it's a serious business trying to win football matches, you know, so that that is his job. And, you know, he will feel the pressure from that. Um, yeah, it does. He's, he's trying to introduce something that, you know, is not alien uh, to the football club, but something we haven't seen for a little while. Uh, and, you know, this uh, style of play and, the, you know, the type of players that he wants to introduce there. Uh, and he's doing it, you know, sort of bit by bit. Uh, I, I've been impressed with him. Um, you don't necessarily have to be uh, a cheerleader, you know, sort of to get headlines and stuff. Um, he doesn't perform in front of the cameras like some managers do, but what he says is worth listening to. And uh, is always, you know, so quite, quite sensible and uh, quite constructive. Uh, I, I'm happy with the job he's doing at the moment. Similar for you, Bees? It was interesting what Dave mentions there. I think the commentator said he looked like somebody had um, lost lost a, was it a, a ten pound note and found one pound <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. Um, yeah, he, he did, I'm still trying to work work him out that, in that respect, personality wise. He's, he 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 listens. I noticed he listens to what you've actually asked him rather than trotting out um, the, the same old lines. He, he he's um, he's very attentive like that, and I think he's he's very detailed. Um, in in his approach, quite guarded. Really, you don't get a, a lot out of him. But you know, he'll be he'll be frank. He'll be, he'll be honest um, with you. Yeah, he's he's totally he's totally different than um, 
another quite different characters in in the um, the dugout last few seasons. Vastly um, different characters, but he's different again. But um, yeah, he's, he's quietly going about his, his business very well at the moment. I just just need a, a few more that extra dimension of uh, some results at some of these bigger teams. Like there's been the promise at Manchester United and Arsenal, encouraging performances, but they need that at Chelsea this weekend. Actually, go to one of these grounds and pick out a result because they've got that sequence of games now haven't they which are seemingly winnable home games but some really tough away ones uh, obviously Chelsea and uh, a certain uh, match at Anfield on the horizon as well and it is the perfect opportunity crawl this weekend to, to get that to, as B says the promise to build on the promise and, and, and finally start turning those performances perfect opportunity in, going to Chelsea <laughs> I just mean that, you know, Chelsea, the, yeah. the first two performances yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to have a look there you know if somehow we could beat Chelsea six points behind them after 12 games played it's, that'd be something like a, a, a brilliant start to the season really wouldn't it over to you Ian he asked you the question <laughs> yeah of course it was I mean again I, I'll you know I'll go back to the fact that it'd probably be frustrating and the fact that the results we had in the, the first couple of games but you know since then or since the first probably opening two or three games it's a completely different team now and it's a completely different feel different setup in such a short space of time which is incredible really considering we're only in November um, you know probably a quarter of the season gone but yeah obviously beat Chelsea and we're going to be absolutely flying especially going into the Anfield uh, well you, you need a, a result like that can transform an entire you know sort of football club yeah. the sense of belief it can give a team um, it's in the past. It was always, you know, that that first item of silverware. You know, so when Everton won the the cup in '84, a team that had been okay, you know, so you know, being quite promising, finished seventh the previous season. The confidence that gave that squad, they were a team transformed the following season. Uh, and you know, to a lesser degree, if Everton could go to a place like, you know, so Old Trafford or the Etihad or Chelsea, and not just mount a smashing grab raid, you know, score a goal and defend for like 89 minutes, but, you know, win on their own terms and, and deserve to win. It just gives such a sense of belief in those players into what the manager's trying to do. It makes you think, yeah, this guy's got to go in the right direction. It, it can transform a football club's mood, but you've got to do it. And it's easier said than done. I mean, Chelsea, all right, uh, Palace gave them a tough time for half an hour or so, and they got at them, they scored a goal, but they've got such quality, you know, so throughout that yeah. squad. Uh, it's going to be very, very tough indeed. But, you know, if Everton have got aspirations of, you know, sort of going to the top four, they've got to get results occasionally at places like that. And, yeah, well, one thing that's in the back of my mind, though, is that there's, you know, three unbeaten teams in the Premier League at the moment and it's never been done so far this, mm-hmm. this, at this point. So, you know, they've got to, one of them have got to lose at, at some point. So was it written in the stars That's as well? Positive. I like to hear Tony that. Bellew <laughs> fighting on the Saturday night in Manchester. Get a win for Everton, obviously for himself, but Everton get a win on Sunday. You put a fiver on that. You won't be in work on Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> Can you see the double blue victory, Dave Bellew on Everton? No, I can't. Um, Can you see a Bellew win? Uh, never ever write value off. Uh, funnily enough, uh, Beth Victor sent through uh, an email this week trying to tempt us into writing a story about them offering a hundred to one odds on, on value to beat Usyk, but they're only allowing you to put one pound uh, oh, on that bet. No, I mean it's it's of course it's it's absolutely tough. Usyk's uh, an Olympic gold medalist. He's a former world amateur champion. As a professional, he's boxed fifteen times. Never even looked like losing. I mean he. Uh, won every single round against Gassiev, you know, and Gassiev was an unbeaten fighter before he got in against him. But there's something about Tony. He, over the last few years, since he's gone to cruiserweight, he's just looked a much better, more rounded fighter altogether. He's a lot cleverer than people give him credit for. He analyzes boxing, you know, it's incredible detail. And he's telling us that, you know, he's 
I wouldn't say he spotted something, but he knows he's going to, you know, have to go through the trenches and, you know, sort of have dark moments against Usyk. But he also believes, you know, he can do it, he can find a way. And that's just not him trying to sell the fight. He genuinely believes it. So don't ever write him off. I mean, the the clever money suggests that, yeah, Usyk will coast to a points win, you know, so over 12 rounds. But Tony's a hard-punching cruiserweight. And if he can, you know, sort of land, you know, sort of one shot in there, that can just change a fight entirely. So, you know, I, I don't know is a simple answer, but you just don't write him off. You know, so so think don't a, write Tony Bell off. A tougher fight, Usyk over Hay or vice versa? What, the, tougher than the Hay fight? Yeah, yeah. Again, a very different type of fight really because you know hey the perception was that all he had to do was connect you know and that was it fight over because he was such a hard punching heavyweight and Tony was like a cruiserweight who just moved up so you know everyone thought right that's it you know one punch that's it game over and he will connect at some stage in those 12 rounds and he didn't you know so because you know Tony was too elusive too clever his game plan was you know so altogether too cute and then obviously he suffered the injury you know so late in the fight as well uh, this is a very different type of fight, you know, because of Usyk's movement, because of his, he's not, he's a bitty kind of fighter, you know, he's, um, he doesn't ooze class, he's not someone who's like, you know, going to do a Mayweather and just like box his head off for like sort of 12 rounds, so you think that Tony can get at him, but he does everything very, very well. And it's, it's, it's tough, of course it is, you know, but, you know, that's why it's for the undisputed cruiserweight title of the world. You know, there's a, a huge prize at stake there, uh, but it's, it, it's an opportunity. And it's, you know, if you can do that on the Saturday night and then, you know, sit down and watch Everton on the, uh, the Sunday lunchtime, you know, so yeah, that'd be a hell of a double. Yeah. Will, will, you, be watch- first. will you be watching Bellew on Saturday night, Dave? I'm hoping so, but Mrs. Prentice isn't aware of this yet. Uh, we're, we're Hopefully L- she's a listener. Uh, we're, we're, we're in London uh, on Saturday and I've managed to persuade her it's a good idea to go to Stamford Bridge on the Sunday. So, so we're going to the game, uh, but we're Fair at a show point. on the Saturday night and uh, it will finish hopefully about 10 o'clock, half past 10. So, so you're taking Mrs. Prentice to the footy on Sunday? Yeah. And is she I'll, a big blue as well? Oh, she is, yeah. And I'll, I'll have to just like drop into the conversation, but it'd be a good idea to watch Tony on the tele. <laughs> do, you think you, do you think you can persuade Chloe to go and watch Everton at Stamford Bridge on Sunday, Chris? Uh, no, she, she'll, be, she'll be back home. Be <laughs> I will be watching. You'll be watching? <laughs> I will. Mrs. in tow or? Uh, yeah, well, it's, yeah. A, it's a birthday today, uh, so we're... Uh, oh, little, little shout out for Saturday Sat- party and ours, I think. Uh, get it on the telly. My, my, my e-invite mustn't have uh, landed in the No, not yet, yet, no. I'll send, I'll send it tomorrow. And just to, just to finish then, Dave, we'll, we'll leave it with you. You broke some quite big news for, for Everton today, a returning figure. I, I think it's big news. I mean, it's not going to make, you know, sort of back page headlines or anything, but... Um, you never know. <laughs> Mick, Mick, Mick Rathbone, a.k.a. Baz, who was um, Everton's, I think his title was Head of Sports Medicine uh, for eight years under David Moyes and was an enormously popular guy because of his personality, because of his enthusiasm. And he's also a very, very talented physio. Um, he had seven and a half very, very successful years at Everton, where David Moyes described him as one of his best signings. He then had what he described as a perfect storm of six months when so many injuries came in such a short space of time. And David Moyes, a, either being ruthless or knee-jerk reaction, decided he wanted a change. And, you know, so and Baz left the club, went and worked for a number of other clubs, worked for England, worked for the FA and the under-17 set up. 
uh, but still remained hugely popular with so many players at the club. Anyway, Everton have persuaded him to come back. Uh, he's going to work at the Youth Academy with David Unsworth. Uh, the club believes uh, his enthusiasm and his personality will be great for the young players, which it will. Uh, but equally, he's done an awful lot of uh, very you know forward-thinking work in recent years on a performance anxiety. Uh, for those guys that have read his book, The Smell of Football, cracking book, but also very self-analytical because he suffered major crises of confidence during his uh, playing career at Birmingham City. So much so where he went in and actually, you know, persuaded, I think the manager might have been Alf Ramsey at the time, and pleaded with him to take him out of the team because he couldn't handle the flack he was getting and, you know, the, the abuse. Um, so he's lived it, you know, so he knows what it feels like and he knows what footballers go through. So he's done a lot of work in recent years uh, on ridding performance anxiety and helping players that are suffering from it to overcome it. So, you know, I'm hoping it's something that the young players at Everton won't be suffering from. Hopefully, you know, at that level where, you know, the crowd's obviously on, on your back and you're not as that much in, you know, the, the spotlight. It won't be such an issue. But it's a pressurised environment, so maybe it is. But, you know, he will bring that into the football club as well. But I just think uh, the people who've worked with him previously all speak glowingly of just what a, a lovely top guy he is. And there's not enough nice people in the world. You know, so, you know, so good to see him back at Everton Football Club. Well, Dave, Chris and Ian, thank you very much for joining us for another edition of the Royal Blue Podcast. We'll be looking at the Chelsea clash more in depth later on in the week. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you soon. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.